Welcome to MyPersonalFootballCoach.com's Soccer Player Development Podcast. Discover all the secrets, hints and tips about soccer player development and soccer coaching from some of the leading figures in world soccer. Here's your host, Saul Isaacson-Hurst. Hi guys, uh, welcome back. Before we get into our special guest this week, I just want to just uh, give you a little bit of a heads up. The next phase of the My Personal Football Coach Virtual Academy uh, is being launched next month. Uh, really excited, we've got some top, top uh, practitioners. Romeo Jozak, uh, head of, ex-head of Croatian uh, the Croatian Football and Dynamo Zagreb Academy. He's going to be joining us to support the players on, on virtually. Also, Marink Redink, ex-Ajax coach, um, academy coach is going to be supporting us. Uh, Joe Sutton, ex-Arsenal head of recruitment, is going to be doing some stuff around recruitment for players. And uh, obviously, joined by myself, um, Scott Chickleday, who's the forward coach, worked at Tottenham, myself, and uh, QPR, works with pros now individually as a forward specialist. And uh, Glenn Hicks as well, ex-Tottenham Hotspur academy coach, and also Charles. Charlie Quigley, also who's uh, the SNC uh, co- current SNC coach at Middlesbrough Academy. Uh, so all of these guys and myself, we're going to be uh, delivering uh, world-class online content for the My Personal Football Coach Virtual Academy. So kicks off um, next month. Uh, spaces are limited. Uh, the last phase went really well. This time we're also doing uh, regular parent Q and A's with the spe- with our academy specialists as well. And uh, really excited how this is progressing. Uh, the only virtual academy in the world, obviously. Offering this uh, quality content every week, including live classroom sessions as well for players. So, if you want to know more, just go to the My Personal Football Coach website, go in the player section, and click on the virtual academy, and you can sign up or register your interest because spaces are limited. This week, we've got a fantastic guest, top, top guest. It's uh, Lewis Gota, who's head of foundation phase at Arsenal FC's Academy. Uh, really excited to have Lewis on Arsenal, one of the best academies in the world, one of the best academies, if not the best academies in the country. Um, so, you know, really fortunate he agreed to come on and share his insight into uh, what they do there at the foundation phase. So I was really lucky to spend a bit of time at Arsenal uh, towards the end of last year. Obviously, they're using the app, the My Personal Football Coach app, and I was doing some bits as well with their rates. Uh, top, top academy, unbelievable program, great mix of individual technical work and team play as well. So they've got a really good balance. Uh, and Lewis himself got a really interesting story. Obviously, started at Reading, uh, did about 10 years there, very young uh, foundation phase lead, and then now uh, working at Arsenal. And uh, so talks about the uh, the essence of the strong young gunners models, what they're trying to do there at the academy, working under uh, Pierre Mertesacker, who's the new inspirational uh, academy manager there at Arsenal. So, uh, like I said, I was really fortunate to spend some time there. It's a top academy, so I was really excited when he agreed to come on and share a bit of inside knowledge with you guys about what goes on at a real top, top-end uh, academy. Um, other news, well, uh, really uh, proud to welcome West Bromwich Albion, another top academy to the My Personal Football Coach uh, Club partnership. They join, obviously, Arsenal, Wolverhampton Wanderers, Middlesbrough, uh, Leighton Orient, Cheltenham Town, uh, to, to some pro clubs and obviously hundreds of clubs around the world. Uh, like if you're interested how the My Personal Football Coach Club partnership can take your club to the next level, uh, support your players and your coaches and your parents, just drop me a DM, I'll set you up a demo. Really, this is the, the world's leading uh, remote learning resource for clubs 
Uh, all your players get the app, all your coaches get the coaches pass, the world-class online resource for the coaches, and obviously it's branded, you can check uh, usage, you can set your players' challenges, it gives you full control control of what the players are doing and, and knowledge of the data as well. So really excited to have West Brom on board, and uh, the My Personal Football Coach Club partnership is going from strength to strength, uh, but without further ado, let's get into the show. So, Lewis Gota, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Sal. Just uh, can you give us a brief uh, description of, of your playing and coaching journey up to this point? Yeah, so playing playing uh, career won't won't last very long. I was a very modest player, to say the least. Um, the sort of highest level that I I got to in terms of playing was Bournemouth Centre of Excellence. So if anyone remembers the academy, it was kind of before the academy system um, Centre of Excellence. So I was there from under 14s to under 16s um so yeah i was uh, an average player i probably wasn't the most efficient mover they would say um so yeah i spent two years there um and i I kind of knew straight away that i wanted to get into coaching um and ironically it was the moment that i knew that i wasn't good enough to to play at a, a top level was kind of the moment when i knew that i wanted to get into coaching like we all do um, sort of 15, 16 years of age. And, uh, yeah, just got into coaching really early. Um, I started getting involved with the um, football de Salio. Um, so my dad was was chairman of Winchester Junior Football Club. And uh, he actually got um, a franchise for the, the area that I grew up in, in, in Hampshire. He wasn't a coach, but he, he got a, a coach to come in and, and deliver football de Salio into a little leisure centre I'm in Winchester twice a week and I started helping out with that, doing the old Brazilian football. Really enjoyed that, coaching with younger players. And then, yeah, from the ages of sort of um, 18, I, I just finished the um, finished college. Um, didn't really, wasn't keen on going into university. I wanted to, to kind of travel a little bit before I decided what I really wanted to do. Um, and as you know, back then, sort of 15 years ago, coaching as full-time occupation was very hard to come by. You know, there wasn't it wasn't like it is now with a load of full-time jobs. So um, I remember my dad had um, some Curva videos, sort of VHS videos as they were back in the day. And um, yeah, there was a contact on there um, to to for a, um, English Curva coaching. So I, I, I called the number. Um, and a guy called Gwyn Berry answered and um, I said, I want to get into coaching. I've, I've, I've seen the Curva programme. And um, he said, well, funny enough, we're, we're, we're actually looking for coaches to, to run Curva in, in the Hampshire area. So I went and met Gwyn and, and yeah, he, he, he gave me a bag of balls and, and some pub goals. And, and I've kind of spent a year um, travelling around Hampshire in the back of my little little car, um, going and doing the PPA schools and uh, after school clubs and um you know, trying to do as much coaching as I could, getting lots of hours in. Um, so I'd done that for a year. Um, and, and, and I was lucky, really, because um, Curva Coaching was a worldwide organisation, still is. And uh, the, the the coaches for Curva Coaching in Australia actually came to England um, for a week. They spent a week with Gwyn and uh, got speaking to them. And they said, look, if you ever want to come over to Australia... You know, we, we, we'd be more than happy for you to come over and, and, and do some coaching out there. And I thought, you know what, I'm only 18. Um, great opportunity to go and travel the world. So I spent a year coaching for Curva in Australia. Um, 
and, and, and Curve in Australia was was a big program. It was massive um, back then. It was kind of almost the, the academy program um, back then. And I was fortunate enough to work at Football New South Wales, um, coaching sort of what was their academy players. So I was really lucky to get exposed to coaching to good technical players. Um, spent a year there and then um, a few months in Scandinavia as well. Coached for the, Scan- the Scandinavian Curva Coaching Programme. Um, a guy called Brad Douglas ran the programme out there. That was only for sort of six months. Um, and I was, again, lucky to work there because they were linked in with Rosenborg Academy. And they had a, the, a link through Adidas where we, we coached the best players in the kind of Trondheim area. So again, got, got exposure to coaching to coaching good level player. And then um, the opportunity come to 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 come to Reading. Um, first, obviously, only in a in a part time capacity. Um, so it was a good opportunity for me to get into academy football. So this was around sort of two thousand and seven, two thousand and eight season. Um, Reading had, had just come out of the Premier League, um, and yes, yeah, so I got the opportunity to to coach part time with the under tens age group. Ironically, with Adam Pillin. Um, so Adam Pillin is is the under fifteens uh, coach at Arsenal now. Um, so I was really fortunate to be a, to be a part time coach working with Adam because Adam was also working with the um, FA Skills program as well. So I was getting lots of exposure to to sort of the new way of coaching. It was the it was the kind of new period in coaching with the youth modules was starting to come in and the E Triple P wasn't wasn't around then, but it was in its infancy and it was starting to you know, academy footballs were starting to get audited and and and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, I spent a a, a year part time, and then I was lucky that that the sort of planets aligned really. And with the E Triple P, um, you know, Eamon Dolan, blessing the academy manager at the time, was aware that, that that how the structure of the academies would be would be set up to be a category one academy, and one of the the main um, criteria that you needed to have to have a Category 1 academy was to, to have lead phase coaches. So foundation phase, youth development phase, pro phase. Um, so I was lucky, really, that, that Eamon and, and uh, Lee Heron and Colin Barnes um, gave me that position. And, yeah, I was 22 years old and and head of a lead foundation phase from under 7 to under 12s, which it was. So I was sort of head straight into the deep end, really. And then, obviously, and then that progressed into your current role. Yeah, so I've done eight years. Eight years as lead foundation phase coach. Um, so that was overseeing the, the pre academy as well. There wasn't. We didn't have a pre academy lead, so that was kind of from under sevens to under twelves, um, and the development centres as well. We had a big development centre program in Oxford and Swindon. Basingstoke, London. So I oversaw those development centres as well. And then towards the end of my time at Reading, um, I spent uh, just just around a year as um, head of player development for the under nines to fourteens. So it's kind of coming out of my role as lead phase to to oversee the the nines to the fourteens, the kind of individual development of the players. We had a, a hybrid program as well, or day release program, which they call. Um, so I'd take those players as well, sort of 12s to, to 14s, working on individual development. And then, yeah, so, and then then from there, the, the opportunity, um, there was an opportunity to to, to move on and, and, and join Arsenal Arsenal Academy, which was just over two and a half years ago now. So how, so how long have you been coaching now? How long have you been in? 
So I would have started coaching when I was 15. Um, so yeah, that's nearly nearly 20 years, really. Um, and and, and it, it, you know, it was something that I always wanted. I, I, I kind of knew from an early age that I wanted to get into coaching. Um, and also as well, I was always, always keen on being a specialist with the foundation phase. Um, I've never really had any aspirations of, of going all the way up and coaching youth teams or, or first teams. Um, I've always kind of wanted to specialise and be the best that I can in, in foundation phase, really. It's a great journey, great story. So just tell us about that, those first experiences at Reading. What was that like when you, when you first started coaching there? What was the difference between coaching at Reading and the stuff you'd done previously in Cover and in Norway and that sort of thing? Tell us about the environment. What was that like? Yeah, obviously the level was a lot higher. Um, individually, the players were technically better. Um, obviously, the, as well, facilities, and we had we were lucky that we had good facilities at Reading as well. Um, the environment was, you know, it was just pure football. You know, there's a real football culture. I'd spent sort of 18 months away from England and, and, and in countries where football isn't the, the main, sort of isn't the, the dominant sport. Obviously, coming to England in an academy environment where it was just football, and, and I was I was lucky that the time that I was there as a part-time coach, um, Brendan Rogers um, actually became the manager of Reading. So he was previously the academy manager at Reading. He left, he went to Chelsea and Watford and he came to Reading. Um, so there was, a, when I was there at that time as a young coach, there was a real good culture and environment. And Brendan was, um, obviously he had relationships with, with Lee Heron and Eamon Dolan and, and Adam Pillen and the coaches there from his previous um time at Reading so I was lucky there was a real open environment where you were allowed to go and watch training um, it wasn't closed off and if any of you have been to if anyone's been to Hogwarts it's quite open and easy access to to look at all the training you know it wasn't the most it wasn't the biggest training ground so it was easy to, to watch training so as a young coach I would before for the training sessions I would go and watch Brendan Rogers training and, and, and try and get some ideas and he was quite open and with the academy wanted to really bring the academy and the first team close um and also working in the academy it was a good time because the brendan rogers did give an opportunity for the academy players so gilfie sigurdsson and shane long and alex mccarthy simon church james henry um, there was a lot of young players from the academy given that opportunity to play um so as an academy coach, it was really good that we could see that pathway that if the kids were good enough, they would get that opportunity. Obviously, things didn't work out for Brendan. Um, but, you know, you look at the career that he's gone on to have and in terms of a youth developer, he's probably the best in the business. So tell us about then a little bit about your own development then in terms of like session design and things like that. How did you how did you evolve in terms of, you know, what was it like planning and delivering an academy football compared to what you'd done, you know, previously? Yeah, so coming from Curver, it was a very technical, um, you know, for example, when we were coaching at Rosenborg, we were there, you know, to, to do the deliver the technical sessions. So it wasn't so much the team um, training, it's very much ball mastery and uh, 1v1s, which, what you know, which is what the, the Curver programme is. Um, and then obviously coming to Reading, there was a bit more focus on, on the team training, um, but I was still sort of very much... Um, 
uh, ball mastery and leaning into a 1v1, finishing with a game. But yeah, I, I was lucky that, like, like I mentioned before, I'd, I was working with Adam Pillin and he was exposing me to a lot more of the kind of youth module games, um, whole part, whole practices and um, how to sort of teach technical within a game situation as well. And had lots of really fun, engaging, shooting, finishing practices for the, for the players as well. So that kind of changed a little bit. Um, and then obviously being exposed to the youth modules as well, as well around that time, I'm kind of opened my eyes a little bit in terms of not everything had to be structured in terms of unopposed, 1v1, semi-opposed semi into a game. You know, they're, 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 you know, the whole whole method was, was quite popular back then. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of how I, how I changed when I went into the academy, academy environment. And then obviously you've got the games on the, on the weekend as well, which you've got to try and, try and win and, and, and try and get a group of young players to, to play as a team was, was challenging for me because I'd come from individual development to then all of a sudden trying to get a 9v9 team as it was back then at under 10s um, to try and win a game, which was very difficult back then because when you're playing Chelsea and they've got, you know, Dom Solanke and Tammy Abrahams, Mason Mount as 10-year-olds, it, it was very challenging to say the least. So how did you how did you confront that challenge playing those those big teams of you ready? Because Redden always like I always said this to to Lee and our mutual I said Redden always punched above their weight. You're, you know, you always punched very well, didn't you? In terms of like relatively small club in terms of catchment area and stuff. They like always did really well, and that's why you guys got on to do really good things. So that's just how did you combat that? You know, playing those big those big London giants and you know doing well against them. Yeah, it wasn't easy. At, at, at the start, it wasn't easy, that's for sure. I, I remember my first ever game um, at Cobham. It was when they had just been built and the new, the new facility that they've got there. And um, it was, it was I think it was Dom Solanke's group, because I can remember him playing because he was a Reading boy. And um, it was 1-9-V-9. Um, funny enough, I think, I think Michael Bill was actually the coach. And... Uh, I'll never forget, we lost 17-1. We scored one goal. Tom, Tom McIntyre actually scored the goal. And we lost 17-1. And I remember driving back on the minibus and I just was thinking, you know, we're nowhere near the level. And, and it was, you know, Chelsea obviously had the, the best recruitment and, um, you know, they, they, they could get the best players. They got the best players from even the Reading area as well. And I think it was in those first years, it was really... Um, as lead foundation phase coach and working with with Lee Heron, um, we kind of said, right, if we, if we are going to compete, first of all, we need to get recruitment. We need to get our recruitment sorted. Um, we probably weren't getting the best players in Reading. Um, Reading is, for anyone that knows, Reading is a is a hotbed. It's, a, it's it's geographically in a in a really good location, just off the M4. Um, there's some really good estates, tough estates. In, in, in Reading with Tyler, Whitley, Cavisham. Um, and I don't think we were util, utilising our, uh, our our area as much. So me and Lee we, and, and, and Colin Barnes as well, who's head of recruitment, we just said, right, we've got to get the best players in Reading first. Um, so there was a big heavy, heavily um, focus on um, connecting with the, the local partnership clubs, you know, right choice, Eldon Celtic, we would help, we would hold lots of tournaments and festivals, um, go to a lot of six-a-side tournaments, giving out trophies just to build that connection with the local community. 
um, you know, because we a lot of the best players historically back then. So you look at Dominic Solanke was a Redden boy, Liam Bridcut, um, Hayden Mullins. There was a lot of good players in Redden that probably um, weren't weren't signing for Redden for whatever reason that was. So we wanted to change that. Um, and, and, and yeah, obviously it takes time, but over the next sort of years that came, we I think we bridged the gap um, and we made the gap a little bit um, closer between us and the and the other teams. But you know, back in the back in the early days as well, we would go on sort of espionages and look at what other teams were doing. And you know, we were we were always big admirers of what you guys were doing at Tottenham. I remember um, going to Chigwell um, to play a game and. You know, I'd get off the bus and we would have like one ball per team, um, you know, as our warm up. Well, two balls, but you'd end up with one because the goalie coach would want the other ball. Um, and I remember looking over at the, the, the Tottenham boys and they'd all had a ball each. And it was when obviously Ricardo Monez was, was there at the time. And I remember thinking, wow, this is we're nowhere near this level. And, and, and we actually won the game. I remember we won the game, but we came in for a, for a tea and coffee afterwards. And um you know, Chris Ramsey and, and coaches like this were all talking about the game, and and I remember they were saying, "Yeah, we, you know, we, we lost the game, but we had, did we have the best individuals?" And probably at that time at Reading, we didn't have the best individuals, and you know, at Tottenham you had players like Marcus Edwards and Josh Onamer and you know boys like that. Um, so yeah, we looked at that and we thought, right, we need to implement a little bit more ball mastery and one v ones into our program. Um, and and yeah, the rest is the rest is history. What about yourself then, like, as a foundation lead at twenty two, quite a young age for like a, that, that senior management role? What was that like in terms of managing other staff and players and parents? You know, all those challenges. How did how, was, how did you take that on? Yeah, that, it was difficult at first. Obviously, I'd come from part time to full time, and I was really thrown in the deep end. Um, but I wouldn't have changed it for anything. I, I'm actually glad that I learned on the job. Um, and I made lots of mistakes. There was there wasn't a job description. Um, I remember, bless him, Eamon Dolan sitting me down in the in the hotel at Reading, um, in Medeski, and you know he just said, "I want the best players. We want the best players in Reading, and I just want you to de- develop the best players." Um, and uh, yeah, that was kind of my, my my job remit really, and and. Yeah, it was managing. It's quite difficult because there was a lot of coaches that were older than me, so that was quite difficult um, to try and get buy-in from them. So it took me a bit of time to to get um, coaches on board and get the right people on the bus. Um, and I did that, and we, we've got some sort of keen, young, enthusiastic coaches um, working really heavily with with recruitment as well. Um, you know, during the week, I'd I'd also be, I'd be doing the academy sessions, but I'd also be doing the, the Oxford Development Centre in Blackbird Lees. I'd be doing the, the, the Slough Development Centre on a Thursday, um, coaching the day release boys on a Tuesday as well, which was really good um, to get access to, to coaching. They had, we had a really good group under uh, 14s then it was. Um, there's some good players that have gone on to, to make a career in the game. Helping out with them on day release was good. Um, learning a lot from David Dodds as well. So David Dodds was uh, the the youth team coach. He was the under-18s coach. I know you would have worked with David at, at Tottenham. Yeah, yeah. Not only a, a, a real charming 
gentleman, but you know his insight and his game knowledge was was unbelievable. And he he spent a lot of time working with um, Dick Bate at Watford. I know um, John McDermott um, got him in at Tottenham to do a bit with the development centre and the younger players. But David come over and you know I really learned a lot from him in terms of the coaching. I mean it was really good watching him work from a Monday to Friday. Um, and then seeing the teams play on a Saturday morning. I used to do our Saturday morning session at the Dome, drive over to Hogwood or wherever they were playing and watch the under-18s, and you could really see how David wanted to set the team out and how he wanted to build from the back. Um, so that was really good. Learned a lot from him in terms of coaching, and Martin Dean as well as the youth development lead. Really clever guy. Uh, Martin with a lot of experience. Um, and recruitment as well. And, you know, I, I keep mentioning recruitment, but recruitment was a key key focus for us at Reading really um, we wanted to try and get the best players and obviously to try and get the best players we had to create an environment where the, the the children and the parents wanted to come to us and not go to Chelsea so that was that was the main um, challenge for me was trying to convince players and, and parents at under eights that, that Reading was the right right club for for them and obviously I me and Lee Heron would spend many hours driving around Reading trying to convince you know, trying to convince the boys and the parents, going to their houses, meeting with them, um, trying to get to know the parents. Um, so, yeah, that was it, it was um, there was no job description for it. And I'm glad that there wasn't because I, I you learn on the job, you learn as you go. Yeah, so that's a challenge. How do you compete with the, jug, the juggernaut of academy football who just, you know, plough money in and into everything, recruitment and everything, you know? So what, what's, what's, what's your USP? What was your USP at Reading in terms of that, you know, to convince players to come over? Yeah, so that was always a challenge for us. We were, I think we were the third, no, we were the second lowest spending Cat 1 Academy. Um, and then I think Bolton went to, to, they dropped out the Cat 1 and went Cat 2. So we became the second lowest spend, spending Academy. Um, we had to think differently. We had to try and sell the programme to the parents and the players. First of all, you know, Lee, Lee, Lee Heron used to say to me, he, he used to say, look, we want to create an environment where the parents want to sign for Chelsea because of the glamour and the glitz and why wouldn't you want to sign there? It's, you know, one of the best academies in, in, in Europe and the world. We want the parents to sign at Chelsea, but we want the kids to beg them to sign for Reading. Um, and that's what we had to do. We just had to make it so fun and, and, and enjoyable for the kids. And, and you know, it's funny I say it now, but that actually did happen. We, 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 I think we created an environment where the kids really enjoyed it. There was, there was a big focus on play. Um, it probably wasn't as structured or as, um, I'm trying to think of the right word, it wasn't as strict maybe as what other clubs' academies may have been. Um, it was a, an environment that was more free play, um, expressive. You know, we had what we call me and my ball, where we wanted the players to to dribble and take players on. Um, and yeah, we had the, the the coaches that had that connection with the kids, really. And we create. It was almost the way that I looked at it was, I wanted us to be the best grassroots team in Reading, if that makes sense. That that kind of, you know, academies can be quite sterile environments and hostile, but. We wanted to sort of change that perception of academies and make it enjoyable, fun, and uh, for the parents and for the players. Yeah, we did that. Very successful. So then tell us about then you move across uh, 
you move all the way from uh, Berkshire over to, to sunny North London, to Highlands, to, to, to Arsenal. Tell us about that, your initial sort of uh, impressions. What are the uh, similarities and differences between Arsenal and Reading? Yep, so the opportunity coming, I think it, the opportunity to go to Arsenal was the right time. Um, I never really had aspirations of really moving on. I, I always wanted to try and be the best that I could be at Reading and I, I wasn't really focused on looking ahead. Um, but the opportunity did come and I was, you know, I felt it was right. I'd done just over 10 years at one club, so... Like in anything, I think there's sometimes where there, there, there is that time where you need to move on and challenge yourself as well. Um, I'd kind of done everything at Reading. Um, and you are, you know, at that time as well, there was lots of sort of firefighting. And we were at a stage where we'd almost become a victim of our own success. And it was becoming very difficult to keep the players. So all those players that we we sold the dream to are under eights and nines and all of a sudden they're doing really well to get picked for England camps and the big boys come knocking and that was become that was mentally challenging to try and keep your best players. Um, so I think we were always knew that it was going to be a challenge there. Um, and then, yeah, the, the opportunity come to Arsenal and, and, you know, to work with, again, with Lee Heron, who was operations manager at the time. Um, Luke Hobbs was there and Luke Hobbs was someone that I, I always had big respect for um, because he'd done, he'd done the time in the trenches at Cambridge United and Southend United. Um, and obviously, you know, per, per speaks for himself in terms of what he's achieved in the game. And yeah, I just, I felt that it was the right time, but also the right project. I didn't just want to move on to any any club. I wanted to move where where I felt there was the right people, there was the right project and almost go, right, can we do this again? Can we can we do this for another 10 years? Um, and obviously Arsenal, everyone knows in youth, youth football, you know, I used to love coming to Arsenal. There was something about the, the old hell end with the brick building and, you know, people like um, Roy Massey and Stevie Leonard and Lee Smelt and, you know, people like that, real football people. When you went to Arsenal, you really felt and smelt that football there that and they wanted to beat you. And, you know, trust me, I was on the end of many hidings, um, you know, <laughs> playing against playing against those teams there, you know, boys like um, Matty Smith and Tuba Atpon and, used to be on the end of some real big hidings back in the day but yeah it was I've always um from a from afar been a um you know in terms of the academy there at Arsenal and the people and and yeah it just felt right and I'm glad that I I'm glad that I did did uh, make that move and and yeah I've been in the role now as lead foundation phase um this will be my second season so what what's the main differences in you know running the foundation phase at Arsenal between uh, them running it at Reading yeah, the main, there's obviously the main differences the, in terms of um, facilities is a big one. Um, you know, at Redden, we always, and, and again, I, I don't want to, you know, external factors and facilities and stuff like that shouldn't, it shouldn't stop you, it shouldn't be an excuse to, to not develop players, but it does help when you've got, you know, more pitches, more equipment, um so, you know, in terms of the facilities, I would say that that's one of the big main ones. Um, obviously, the badge and, and selling the club is, is easier than it was at Reading. Um, and and I, I would say the main difference is, is probably the infrastructure and the support 
um, network that you get being a lead phase coach at Arsenal compared to Reading. You know, we have a really supportive MDT um, team in the foundation phase from well-being and performance to operations to our medical department um, to our S&C department. Whereas at Reading, you kind of were the the, the MDT, you know, we, we didn't have as much support. So that does help. Um, so I would say that they're the, the main differences. But football's football. The kids are still kids. Eight-year-olds are still an eight-year-old, whether they're from in London or Berkshire or Reading. Kids are still kids, right? And and there's lots of similarities with that. It's, it's, so it's an exciting time, Arsenal. I mean, I was lucky to spend a few months there just before I came out here and uh, obviously got relatively new academy manager and team there, Per Metasaka, who's very inspiring uh, guy. Um, tell us a little bit about that, you know, the Strong Young Gunners Academy you know that mission statement where they're talking about you know developing strong young gunners tell us about that yeah so per's been in the role now for just over three years um and yeah he he one of his missions well his mission for the academy is to to create the most challenging and caring football academy in the world so he sets a high bar for us as staff um so that's what we kind of have to live live by every day and try and and, and be the most challenging and caring academy that we can be um, and if we can do that, we can hopefully the vision is to to develop strong young gunners that can deal with um, any challenges in their football career or um, in life. Um, you know, and 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 I think it's you know you know we make no apologies that we want to try and develop players for the first team, um, and we set the bar high. And the people that have been here before I've even arrived here, you look at um, because Saka and Emil Smith Rowe now that are. Um, they are making a difference for the first team. So that's the bar. That's what we want to try and do and, and try and develop more players like Bakayo and Emil if we can. Um, and if we can't, can we try and develop players that get a return on investment? So you look at players like Alex Awobi, players that can improve the squad um, and then players that can make a career in the game as well. There's so many players at the weekend. If you have a look, you know, even Luke, Luke Aylin, for example, played for Leeds, come through the through the academy at Arsenal. And there, there's so many players um, that have been at Arsenal that are making a career out of the game. So that's still being a strong young gunner for us. And if, if, if football doesn't work out, then hopefully they, they can, they've had a great experience with us and we've um, they've had a good time and, and they still stay in football. You know, we still have some, some we've got some ex-players, Julian Gray, Adam Birchall, um, Greg Lincoln and Ryan Gary, who who have played at the, been at Arsenal and are still are making a you know a, a back at the academy. So that's kind of what strong young gunners is. Um, yeah, and that's, that's that's kind of the the vision. So tell us about that. Then putting that into into uh, practice. Tell us about the foundation phase, the coaching methodology. <clears throat> how do you how do you coach these strong young gunners? <clears throat> yeah, so strong young gunners is it, it. So we have what we call the four pillars. Um, so the four pillars that, that guide um, the development of strong young gunners. The first one is effective team player. So that's our football performance. Um, now, obviously, in the foundation phase, we don't expect them to be effective team players. It's something that they're evolving to become. Um, and it's still very much individual at the, in the foundation phase. So in terms of what an effective team player looks like at Arsenal in the foundation phase, um, in the under nines, we call it the settling in year. So we, it's it's the first year of academy football for the players coming from pre-academy grassroots into under nine. So we just want them and their parents to settle in into the environment. 
Um, and it's very much uh, a focus on individual possession. So developing the techniques of the individuals. And then at under 10s, we call, um, they if they set a limb, they go progress into our um, under 10 season, which is what we call the glimpses of potential. Um, so there we're working on a little bit more now decision-making. So um, when to dribble, when to pass. Um, and if they can do that and show uh, show glimpses of potential, then in, in the under 11 season is what we call the influence in the game year. So we're looking at the players' individual actions within the team playing style. So it becomes a bit more of a team focus at under 11s. And then, yeah, if they can influence, if, if we feel that they've got enough potential and they're showing enough performance to influence the game, obviously they transition into the early youth development phase um, with Adam Birchall. So that's the effective team player pillar. Um, then we have efficient mover. So that's kind of the, the agility and speed, um, which is a big thing. And if you look at all the players that have come through the academy, and especially the boys that are playing now um, in the first team with Bukayo, Emil, Eddie, and Ketia, Ainsley, Maitland, Niles, a lot of the main common denominator with these players is not only were they technically good, but they were efficient movers. Um, so that's being quick and agile. So that's what we look for in, in terms of efficient mover pillar. Um, and then we have champion mentality. Um, so very simple in the foundation phase. We just want them to love the ball. We want them to, when they lose the ball, work hard to win it back. Um, so that's that sort of champion mentality. If they concede a goal, do they think next action and think positively? If they score a goal, do they get the ball out the back of the net and put it back down to ready to go again? And then we have lifelong learner as well, which is um, it's kind of, you know, we've got a duty of care in the academy to make sure that we um, educate the players and the parents in terms of what Per would call balancing the bubble. So making sure that they they balance their education and schooling with with, with the academy as well. So they're the four, four main pillars that kind of guide um, the strong young gunners. So effective team player, efficient mover, champion mentality and a, and a, and a lifelong learner. And that's kind of what we, we work towards in our programme. And just just about the games program then. What's 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 the sort of game program in you know normal you know pre-COVID times of like? What's the general games program look like to try and give these these uh, strong young gunners these different experiences? Yeah, so it's that's kind of my main role really is making sure that we've got a really um, comprehensive coaching program, but then also making sure that we back that up with a really competitive um, and varied games program as well. Um, so yeah, I mean, in terms of the games program, it's something that obviously it's difficult now, but pre COVID, it was something that we wanted to, to try and add more variety of games, um, to the program. Um, you know, and we're kind of quite lucky that being in a cap, being a cap one Academy, we get access to all the Premier League games programs, and I'm sure you would have been involved in them. The, the stuff that Dean Smith does with the Premier League now is, I think it's probably one of the most um, world-leading games program in terms of what we get access to. So the futsal, the in and out of balance games, the um, um, power play tournaments, the um, national tournaments that we get exposure to now is excellent. But we're, we were really keen on making sure that we um, have as many competitive games as possible. Um, so we, you know, we, when we when we were at Reading, when I was at Reading, we looked, we 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 actually entered a league which is called the Eamon Dolan Tour Series, um, and that's something that we're trying to implement at, at Arsenal as well, sort of more league or game competitions as we can. 
Um, we also have the Hairling Cup as well at under 11s, where we invite local teams or teams from Midlands and up north um, and foreign teams as well. Obviously, we can't do that now with COVID. But, yeah, trying to keep the games program as varied as we can and, and um, competitive as, as we can. Interesting. And what, what about like um, like international tournaments normally? How, how important are those and how many, how many opportunities do the players get? Yeah, so pre-COVID, again, we were very fortunate. Being Arsenal Football Club, you're quite lucky that you get um, invited to a lot of big tournaments in Holland and France and Germany. So I think in, in, in a year that I was only being at Arsenal for a year, um, I'd already been to nine tournaments, um, indoor, outdoor tournaments. Yeah, nine tournaments overseas. Um, and I think you get so much exposure when you play these, when you play the, the foreign teams. Um, I think sometimes it gives you different challenges. Um, you know, so when the boys are getting an opportunity to play Borussia Dortmund in, in Marseille Stadium, um, you know, uh, PSV, Ajax, Anderlecht playing all these big academies, I think that's really good exposure for the players, but also for the coaches. I think it exposes you to different ways and playing against different teams playing in cup competitions as well where you know where all of a sudden the, it's not four periods on a Sunday where it can become quite mundane and there's nothing really on the game all the all of a sudden there's there's a bit of competition on it and this you know the players have to make decision decision making to, to win a game um, and also as well to try and challenge our style and our um, play our individual style and our playing style and seeing if we can do that within competitive games when it really counts so that's where that challenging care comes into it so we want, we want to challenge the players and give them these opportunities to play in these tournaments. Um, but we do that within a sort of a safe, caring environment. Interesting. And what about then, uh, tell us a bit about, you know, talent ID in the foundation phase. What do, what do you look for? How do you identify a strong young gunner at eights and nines, that sort of thing? Talk about your four pillars, but what does that look like specifically as it, and, you know, the younger ones? Yeah, so... Yeah, so it's really important that we link Talent ID with the coaching um, program and methodology. Um, so in, in the foundation phase, it's there's a big focus on um, the players to have that ability to what we call outplay your opponent. So in terms of that effective team player, it, again, we're not looking for the players that um, at effective team players at eights, nines, and tens, we're looking for the players that can outplay their opponent. So, can they stay on the ball? Um, can they can they dominate the duels? Um, can they? It might be a player that um, likes to outplay their opponent through passing. Um, so, there's a big focus on on that as the individual is can they outplay their their opponent? Um, and then also as well, they might be an intelligent defender. So. You know, not all the players are, are are dribblers. There might be those players that show real intelligence defending, whether that be intercepting or winning the ball cleanly. Um, it might even be a player that shows great transitions and they lose the ball and they think football and they, they get back in and, and defend. Um, so that's kind of the football, uh, that's the effective team player um, in terms of what we look for. And then the efficient mover. So are they they are they quick and agile with and without the ball? So you know, going back to to, to Tottenham again, I always felt that 
you, d you didn't necessarily have the biggest or strongest players, but all the players were agile. I, I think you would agree with that. So weren't they at, at Tottenham? They were sort of well, very agile, was, nimble players at we, Tottenham. Well, we always talked about that. It was, it was, that was almost like a consequence of all the ball mastery we did with them in terms of mm -hmm. just more better movers than a lot of other players just moved differently. So almost whether that was confirmation bars in terms of those players were identifying, but we always in the Premier League testing performed a lot higher in terms of agility and the way the players moved than the average. And we just, yeah. did, you know, maybe this was, uh, you know, there wasn't any sort of research. Plan. We just, you know, thought, you know, anecdotally, we definitely felt that deep ball work definitely affected those players' movement positively. Mm. I always felt that when we played Tottenham, you know, you weren't the most physical in terms of the, the strongest boys, but you could always wiggle and that agility to get out of tight areas was, was something that I was always in awe of, of, of when we used to play Tottenham. Um, so that's kind of what we want to look for in, in, in the foundation phase and pre-academy. And then, yeah, that champion mentality. So, you know, do the players, are they um, risk takers? Are they quite happy to get the ball from the goalkeeper and try a Maradona um, or try to play their way out? Um, and if they lose the ball, if they dribble and take players on, do they try and do it again? Um, so that's kind of what we look for in that champion mentality. Um, so, yeah, and, and, and I think we're, we're aligned with what the talent idea uh, uh, identifying and selecting on. Um, and then that makes it a lot more easier when they come into us and we develop them. We're still developing, we're identifying and developing off the same criteria. Um, you know, because we're, we're, we're lucky in terms of where we are in London. We're in a hotbed of of football and there's so much potential talent on our doorstep um you know and you, you, you've been you, you sort of come into to hair and environment and, and i think we're on the, the right track in terms of the identifying and securing and then developing and retaining the, the best players that we can in in north and east london yeah i think you've got one of the best ace programs i've seen actually in terms of delivery and the tempo and the environment i've been really i was really impressed in terms of you know of what I saw there in terms of that. what's that like though in terms of how you know now you, you're you're in the pressure cooker in the mix if you like you've got you know Tottenham next door Chelsea down south West Ham around the corner you know how how difficult is that you know fighting over all this top talent in you know in, in the London central London area yeah it's certainly competitive but we're lucky that we've got some good good people I mean Kieran Lewis who, who's a pre-academy coordinator does an excellent job um, he's world class in terms of what the program that he he's put together in the pre academy, um, and yeah, it's competitive, and you're not always going to get all the players. But I know Lee Heron, who's our uh, you know head of talent ID now, is is has got a big emphasis on making sure that we get the best players in North and East London. You know, if we lose players south of the river to Chelsea, then then so be it. Um, you know, and we understand that you're not going to always get all the players. And not always the players always want to sign for Arsenal. You know, if you're an eight-year-old boy and your family support Tottenham, you know, and you live in Enfield, then I'd be encouraging that boy to go and sign for Tottenham because that's your, the team that you support. Um, you know, and wherever players do sign, all the, the environments are top, top environments. But I do think that we've got a unique environment um, at Arsenal. I do think it is child-centred and child-friendly. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it, it's competitive. You're not always going to get all the best players, but our main priority is to make sure that we get the, the best players in North and East London.
um, you know, and then there's obviously a bigger thing in terms of um, being aware of of not just the best players now, but the, the the potential. So being aware of the chronological age of the players, being being aware of that relative age effect, I think is massively important at under eights and all the way through the academy. But um, also looking at the player's training age. So how long has the player been in the in the academy system for? Um, you know, there's all those sort of um, factors that come into it as, as well. Interesting. And what, what's your thoughts in terms of uh, winning and develop, winning the development argument in terms of games programme? When you, when you, what are you telling your coaches when they go to games on the normal Premier League Sundays, uh, fixture games, game days rather? What's, how important is winning or how important is development? You talked about, you know, performance and, you know, potential. How, how do you use that at Arsenal? Yeah, it's a big debate at the moment, isn't it? And, you know, some people say oh, it's not about winning. Some people say it's all about development. For me, it's very simple. I mean, firstly, the game of football, the objective of the game of football is to score one more goal than the, op the opposition. That's the objective of football, right? So by definition, the game of football is kids trying to score one more goal than the opposition. So naturally, winning is important because that's what they're trying to do. Um, but for us, it's... It's getting that balance of winning and development. But I think it's, you know, we try and say that you want to win, but you want to win with respect. Um, you know, so that, that was one thing that, that Arsene Wenger was big on, was trying to win with, with, with respect. Um, and also as well, we want, to, we want to try and win our way. So we want to try and win in terms of foundation phase context. We want to, I always say, do we have the best individuals? So in terms of um, top five players, did we have three of, three of them? Um, did we play our style? So did we outplay the opponents individually? Did we dominate possession as a team? And if we've done that, one and two, then if what was, what was the score? Well, did we win? Brilliant. But what we don't want to do is we don't want to win, but we didn't have the best individuals. Um, we didn't play to our style as individuals and as a team. We didn't dominate possession, but we won the game. So I think as long as you have that clear reference, um, then I think I, I think it helps because the kids want to win, the parents want to win, and also we as uh, as coaches we we want to win as well. But as long as it's in, you know not at the detriment of one and two, then that, then that's fine. Yeah, interesting. I, yeah, I suppose it is like you know they say it's not it's like common sense, isn't it? It's the way you approach it. Do you know what I mean? It's like you know you want to win, but it's not win at all costs. Like you're not sticking it in the mixer. No, at the, uh, yeah. you know, the, the, uh, I don't know what you think, Sol, but I think it's something as you get, the longer you do it, the more um, you have a better perspective on it. And whereas back in the early days, I was very obsessed with winning. Um, a, a big lesson for me was uh, the, un, it was an under, te, uh, under 11 national tournament when they first started at Warwick. Um and we were in the quarterfinals playing against Man United. So, of course, Reading, Man United, it was a big game. You know, I wanted to win. We had quite a good group. We, we had won all of our group games. And um, everyone's watching on the bank and all that, like they do with the Premier League games programme. And um, we went 1-0 up. at half. So, at half-time, we're, we're getting our boys in and telling them what to do and all that. And I look over at the Man United bench and... Um, it was Tony Whelan, 
was Tony Whelan at Man United and Eamon Mulvey. And they were just really calm, really casual. They said, look, lads, 1-0 down. Keep playing the United way. Keep getting on the ball. Keep trusting trusting yourself on the ball. Play the United way. We'd be fine, lads. Don't worry. So second half, we go back out. And all of our, us, uh, me and all the other coaches, we're right on the line telling the players where to go, push up, you know, <laughs> get it in the corner, try and do everything, get the win. And I looked over at the Man United bench. Wheeland and Eamon and really experienced guys and they were literally sat right back on the bench and listen they won the game 2-1 in the end and that was a real um, moment for me where I thought yeah they, they know what they're doing here at United you know they it, it, they just trusted the process and they knew that they had the best as long as they had the best players as long as they tried to get on the ball as long as they tried to play United way the result would take care of itself so that was a, a big lesson for me I think in terms of that winning and development I think you do that when you're younger. It's much more ego, isn't it? And like you say, and mm. also you, you know, you, you know, how are you judged? A lot of times, you know, how do you get on the weekend, or how do you do in that tournament? You know, and that sort of thing is when you get a bit older and you know a bit more, not necessarily just reflective, but I suppose a lot more confident. And just you know, like you say, let the let the game just play out. You know, and and stand back and you know let, let you do that. But I would say it's easier for mm. Man United to do that than a Reading coach. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> lead, you know what I mean. You know, I remember some, a coach saying to me once, he said, foundation phase football, he said, it's like a game of top trumps. The, the coach with the best cards will win. And it kind of is in a way. If, if you've got the best players, nine times out of ten, you'll win anyway. Do you know what I mean? So it's, yeah, yeah it's just, I think as you get older and you mature a little bit more and you, you're less ego, um, you kind of see the bigger, big, bigger picture, really. Also, it's, it's different when, like you said, like when you go abroad, you do the European tournaments and suddenly, you know... It's, you know, you turn on, you play an Ajax in the quarters or, you know, and, and every result matters. And you suddenly, you know, game management becomes important. And, you know, I, I, I really developed as a coach being out there and understanding because not only did the boys learn how to manage games and, you know, and see games out and, you know, one nil up. And, and it's, but as a coach, you do as well and, you know, understand, you know, there's a real big learning curve. Yeah, I think the foreign teams are a lot more game savvy. They recognise the the oh, state, yeah. the time, and the score of the game, don't they? Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, like that, and like like doing like Anderlecht, like with Platinum playing and with Chelsea Nines playing Anderlecht in the somewhere like in Europe, and like and them like going down and like feigning injury, like you know running out the clock. And I was just like, wow, like these, you know, our boys like we'd yeah. be one 0 up, and they're still like you know all of them be attacking. No one's defending. No, just because it's a different category. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You know, real different. I think as well, there's a perception in England that we're, you know, this culture of screaming coaches and, you know, PlayStation coaches, as they're called. But, you you, you know, you've been abroad and if you go to Germany for one of these indoor tournaments, their coaches are, are standing up on the top near the yeah, goal yeah. shouting, you know, like yeah. explicitly telling the players what to do during, a, you know, a mad five in, indoor um, tournament. So I think sometimes we do ourselves we have this perception of the English coach sort of shouting and, and, and overseas they kind of stand back and let him play. But in my experience, no. um, That's the opposite. it's like, yeah, the opposite. Like, they're there yeah, to win. Yeah, yeah. Ajax, Ajax want to win that game. Do you know what I mean? You see the coach in you know, yeah. face and doing like those, those types of teams. Everyone wants to win. But interesting. So let, before, before we where time is running on, I'm trying to get as many questions as possible. Tell us a little bit about your thoughts about the early v late specialization debate i mean of you know getting players in early Bayern munich stopped their you know their nines now and trying to focus a bit older what's, what's your thoughts about the whole debate there 
Yeah, again, big debate at the moment, isn't it, in terms of early specialisation and late specialisation. Um, yeah, I, I, I have my views on it. And again, it's, I'm not saying what my views are, are right, but, you know, for my sins, I've, I've tried to do as much research as I can into to the topic. Um, and for me, I think it's... I, you know, people will say it's one or the other. Well, it's, you either early specialise or it's late specialisation. But for me, I, I think there's a middle ground of kind of, um, they call it, a, you know, it's called early engagement pathway, mm. where the kids engage in football early. Um, so, for example, if you if you take Brazil, um, you know, in, in Brazil, it's a very football first country, isn't it? Um, I know you're speaking to, to Simon Clifford last time, but... In, in Brazil, they, they engage early, they play lots of football. Um, but what they do is they they have a diverse um, football experience from a young age. They play lots of futsal, they play on the beach, they play informally, but they're still getting lots of early engagement in football, but they're just getting a diversification of football experiences. Um, and that's where the best players in the world come from, right? Um, and, and, and again, there's... There's been lots of research that shows, you know, in, in, in I think it was in Switzerland that all the youth team players in the under 20s um, Switzerland youth team all engaged early and all started at under nine level. Um, so for me, there, there, there's evidence that, of course, there's evidence that suggests that you should specialise later and you should do other sports. I get that. But then there's also a lot more evidence that suggests that if you engage early, um, then you've got more chance of of making it at top level football. And you know, if you look at the recently, so if you look at a lot of the players that are coming through now, so Phil Foden, Jaden Sancho, Jack Grealish, these top players, because Saka, you know, arguably we've probably had we haven't had a generation of players like this in England. If you look at the journey of these players, they all started in academy at under nine. So. The evidence is there that if you engage early, you've got more chance the likelihood of making it at the top level is higher. Um, you know, even if you look at the England under 20s World Cup team, the England under 17s World Cup team, a lot of these players were were, in, were at the foundation phase. But I think it's then being um, skilled and going, what we don't want to do is we don't want to um, make it repetitive at an early age. We need to make sure that at the foundation phase, that early engagement pathway we encourage lots of diverse experiences for the for the kids. So they are playing futsal. They can still play with their mates. There are the kind of street football games. You know, at Arsenal, we call it the, the um, performance playground. So you're still keeping that street sort of football mentality going. Um, but that's kind of my view on it. It's, I don't know what your view is. So if, if yeah, like, yeah, I, I agree. In, yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm the same. Whether we whether because we're both foundation phase you know specialists spend a lot of time in there we have you know um you know some bias in there but i agree the, the early engagement thing is that you know you, you you engage players early they have our experiences but you know good footballers are good footballers at a young age and you give them you know diversification in what they do but i mean they still have that football experience in them but yeah i agree i mean you know that evidence shows that the 17s the 20s you know the, the academy system is producing players Starting at early, now not all players come through that route, but I mean, you know, to say that you know you can't 
produce these type of players in controlled environments. It's just not true because obviously we are now and all these players are coming through. We've got one of the most successful academy systems in the world. So I suppose the challenge, you know, supporting players may understand that, you know, going through all the ways is, 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 you know, statistically unlikely, but then supporting players with a dropout and stuff like that. But yeah, I'm, I'm with you in terms of, you know, academies are real positive places to give players great experiences and they produce, they're producing world-class players. Mm. Well, what, 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 what about yourself in terms of how do you develop yourself? I mean, how do you keep keep growing, keep evolving? Do you, do you have mentors? Mentors are a really important part of my life. Have been for a long time, my career-wise and personal, and personal business development. What about yourself? Do you, how do you develop yourself? Yeah, that's a, a big thing. I think you've got to keep evolving. Um, you know, the way that I look at it is my job is to teach children to learn to play football. So how much do I know about teaching and learning, um, pedagogy and, and how children learn? How much do I know about children and child development and how children develop in the stages of their learning and development? Um, and how much do I know about football as well and, and how, you know, being a student of the game, but also developing my craft and knowledge to, to, to try and develop, try and package the, the 11 aside game and how can we package that up into kind of foundation phase football. Um, so that's the main thing for me is keep um, developing myself and getting as much. I think it's what I've learned is it's get, it, it's okay having experience, but if you haven't got that knowledge to back it up as well, um, you won't develop. Because if you're always doing the same thing, you could be coaching for 20 years, but if you've always been doing the same same thing every year, you've got 20 years experience, but one year of knowledge. So for me, it's making sure that you continue to, to develop your knowledge. Um, I'm really lucky that at, at Arsenal, working very closely with Adam Virtual and Dan Machichi, who are top youth developers. So it's, it's good to learn. I'm learning from them every day. Um, and the other coaches that we've got in the academy, um, you know, in terms of mentors, obviously I've, I've spoke a lot about Lee Heron. Um, it's been very good for me professionally and personally as well, and is a good friend. And we're, we're always talking about football and development, and we're you know obsessed with it. Um, yeah, and then in terms of mentors, for me, I think Pete Sturgis would be, you know, I think he's the foundation phase guru in terms of, you know, not only a good person, a, a, a gentleman, but um, he's got a really good way of um, packaging up foundation phase football and delivering it in a child-friendly way. Um, so I always like to try and keep in touch with Pete and pick his brains. Um, and he's really been a big influence on my development as well. And um, what about like, what advice would you give for like you know foundation phase players, um, parents you know who are starting their journey uh, on that long road? For, for what, sorry, Sal, for... So, so what, what advice would you give to like a, like young players and most like parents of young players who are just, you know, identified as being, you know, uh, gifted and talented at a young age? Yeah, for the players, very simple. Just love the ball, love the game, um, you know, and, and, and practice as much as you can. Um, but for me, yeah, that, that loving the ball in the game is massive. Um, and yeah and try and practice as much as you can as well that would be my only advice for, for kind of foundation phase footballers and enjoy it and have fun um, and then for parents it would be I think for parents it's to enjoy the journey enjoy the process um, 
you know, and don't expect to get to the final destination, but enjoy the journey and get off at every stop, enjoy the ride, take the scenic route, trust the process. Um, it's a long journey. Um, you know, trust the coaches. I know it's always difficult, but the, the coaches nine times out of 10 do have your kids best interest at heart. Um, you know, and, and for a parent, especially this time, it's, it's difficult times for parents. I'll get that. Um, but for me, it's, you know, be a role model. I think just, just be a, be a, I think that's the main thing for parents. I think there's a big pressure on parents, but especially in academy football, but they sacrifice a lot for, for their child and their other siblings. So just by bringing the kid is enough for them. You know, that's, that's being a good parent, just bringing the, their child to train and free three times a week and driving up and down the country, taking them to games is just enough. Um, but yeah, enjoy the journey and trust the process. And what about a coach? What, what advice would you give to a young coach who wants to get to have a great career in the game like yourself, like a top club like Arsenal? Yeah, again, the first one I would say to, to you know, to, to develop your players, you've got to develop yourself. So you've always got to, again, going back to that knowledge and experience, don't just rely on your experience. Gain knowledge as well in different domains. So, you know, be curious, learning about skill acquisition and teaching and learning and latest methods. Don't always believe one thing. Try and, you know, see the science in the art and the art in the science. Get that balance. Um, and and also as well know the level i think so develop yourself to develop your players but also you've got to know the level so i was really lucky when i was at reading um steve shorey who was the head of recruitment at the time used to um because we just didn't have the manpower i used to go and scout a lot of the fa youth cup games and for me that was when i look back now that was one of the biggest for me the the best learning that i could have got because i was seeing the end goal so, you know, a lot of time spent watching the, the Chelsea Youth Cup team when they had like Josh McEtron and, um, you know, players like that in, in the Lewis Baker, Izzy Brown, you know, top youth teams. Um, and I, I was lucky to, to go and watch a lot of that football, the under 18 Youth Cup football um, and being exposed to that at Reading as well. So that was really good because it gave me, I, I saw the end goal, if that makes sense, of the journey. So I think especially for coaches working in the foundation phase, yeah, it's knowing the knowledge of coaching in the foundation phase, but also as well, know the level of the end goal. So try and, um, when football gets back to normal, try and watch Youth Cup games, um, try and watch as many under-23 games, try and watch Champions League games, but also League 2 games and League 1 games and see what football looks like at that level as well. Um, so I think it's really important if you're going to coach from the start of the journey, you need to know what that end goal looks like um so yeah no no the level would be one thing interesting and i'll be amiss not to ask you, you know, one of the best academies in the world if not the best academy in the country using the best app in the world my personal football coach tell us about how my how you guys have been utilizing my personal football coach in the last few months yeah it's been really good so um it was something ironically before covid even hit that me and lee were big on um me lee and kieran lewis we felt that if we were to develop a culture of um, with the kids loving the ball, um, you know, a, a lot of people talk about deliberate play and they think that deliberate play is just playing games, which is, it's a big part of deliberate play. But for me, there's also that deliberate play with the ball. 
You know, I think people misinterpret what deliberate play is. But for me, deliberate play is um, street football, but also deliberate play with the ball, with the ball at your feet. Um, and I think we've kind of moved away from that culture a little bit. But yeah, we were big on trying to implement an environment and a culture where the kids love the ball and love the game. Um, so yeah, it was something that, that we were looking to implement pre-COVID. Just so happened that the that um, with the situation that we're in now, um, that it was a good time to, to also have something that the kids can do during lockdown. Um, so obviously the app's been really has uh, been really good resource for the kids and for the parents. Really engaging. There's that kind of gamification of it as well, where they can challenge each other with the app as well. Um, so yeah, we've been using that. Um, and I think as well, it will also help when we go back because of the ball mastery and the 1v1 um, domination is a big part of our programme. A lot of the kids now are used to the terminology, so they know about the Vs and the double Vs and the Ls and um, the double Ronaldos, the Dans, you know, so they're used to the terminology. So I think that will actually help us when we do go back um, to training at Hale End. Um, but it's been really good, really engaging. Um, been getting lots of good feedback from, from the um, players and the parents as well. So I'd highly recommend then, it. Thank you very much, Siz. So what, what and then finally, what what were your own aspirations? And you talked about doing another ten years, maybe at Arsenal. I mean, long term, what would you do? You have what's, what's your aspirations? Yeah, I was speaking to you earlier. I wouldn't mind going out to Thailand. Uh, so <laughs> speaking to you earlier, um, and maybe in another twenty years. But no, for me, I just I know it sounds really cliche and it's a bit corny, but. I do really just want to try and be the best that I can be today. That's what I've always said. Um, you know, try and keep getting as much knowledge as I can, coaching children, um, you know, child development, uh, coaching craft. Um, yeah, just try and be the best that I can be. I've still got a lot to learn. I'm, I'm by no means an expert. Um, but I just want to try and get a, a better insight into children and children's football and and what that looks like along the development pathway um, and really give these these boys a, a really good, the best sort of start in their footballing journey as we can give them because you've seen some of the boys at, up at, down at Hell End. We've got some really talented players and with the right environment and the right programme, I think they've really got a, a, a good chance. And if they, if they make it great, if they don't, then being in the foundation phase would be a great childhood experience for, for all these kids. Lewis Goa, thank you very much, mate. It's been fantastic. Cheers, Sal. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to the MyPersonalFootballCoach.com Soccer Player Development Podcast. MyPersonalFootballCoach.com's dynamic ball mastery program is the world's leading online individual technical training program, proven and developed at the highest level in the English Premier League. Sign up now to train like the pros and take your game to the next level. Master the ball, master the game.